Right on. What's going on? Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, uh, where we share hope for those struggling with addiction, hope for those suffering right along with those who are struggling with addiction. And it's trying to stay sober, man. It's, a, it's an anomaly. Most do not reach sobriety. Life gets in the way of that. And we have three definite choices. I don't know if you know about that, but uh, you either die, you get covered up, you get locked up, or you get sobered up. That's it. Think about it. When was the last time you saw an old drug dealer? It's a young man's game, and it doesn't last very long. The, this podcast, man, is examining lives of men and women who choose to hunt sobriety and bigger things. Sobriety is not passive. It will not come to you. It cannot be completed by positive thinking or by osmosis. Sobriety takes effort, work, grind, passion, changing everything about your life, relentless focus, um, honesty, real intention. We will shine light on those addiction processes using guests who are currently in recovery, those who are in active addiction, or those who have created examples to us to follow in recovery. And that is why my dog, Luke, is here today. This hat man has the greatest smile this side of the Mississippi. The only man who is sponsored by on the front of uh, Frito-Lay's potato chips and still participates in the American Ninja Warrior, keeping his front teeth. So I'd like to welcome to the show, welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, my guest today, Luke Mickelson. Man, Luke, like I was telling you before, I went through and kind of charted your life, man, and, <laughs> and did like a little summary, and man, you're all over the place. <laughs> well, well, number one, thanks for having me. I mean, uh, it was an honor to meet you for um, for the summit, which was awesome. That was bad. Eh? It, was, it was just an honor to be a part of that. I, you know, I listened not to all of them, but most of them. And and uh, what a great event that you put on. And you know, I uh, um, it was just it was just an honor to be a part of it. So I'm 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 glad to be part of your podcast, bro. Yeah, right. On. So what Luke's talking about is we had a 2020 recovery summit uh, started in in November 16th to the 18th, where we had 34 speakers. I don't know if you heard where they're from, Luke, but we had some, we have one guy from Africa. Wow. Uh, we, we had them all over the place. And, and people ask me, why, why do you bring so many people in? You know, I kind of got in the trap where I believed that there was only one way to recover. Like you needed to go to rehab. And I just realized, man, there's so many different ways people are doing it out there. Yeah. And, and that's why I want to talk to you. Cause if you, I mean, most people who are in recovery understand, but those out, there, there's four major things. If you want to get sober, if you want, and not only sobriety, but if you want to have a normal relationship, mm -hmm. right? If you want to have a normal life, there's four things that have to be in order for you to have that. Your home life, mm -hmm. right? Your home life yep. has to be yep. in order. If you're coming home every day, fighting with the kids, fighting with mama, there's just tension. There's stress. You know, you can't pay your bills. You don't have beds, right? Yeah. Just that added stress, man. It's it, so home life, then your health, right? Your health, a major component. And that could be your mental health, your physical health, and your spiritual health. Think about it. When you're off spiritually, everything's off. Right. Right? And then, and then your community of people that you get around you on, on who's your team. And the last one is purpose. And, and those are kind of what I want to talk to you about is I want to find <laughs> – I read your bio, man, and I read some stuff about you, but but I want to know the ins and outs on how it happened because I need sure. I need to pick your brain and find out how you did it because I know there's people out there that want to replicate maybe not what you're doing in, in the bed frame sure. Sure. arena, but uh, just your process, man. That was such a cool event. So 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 if you don't mind, give us a a, a rundown 
of what okay. you do. You bet. Yeah. So, you know, uh, well, again, it's the one when you when you look back, especially when I look back, I remember even just you know three years ago, uh, we were just just on the verge of blowing up as far as SHP and and for your listeners out there. We build beds for kids. That's what Sleeping in Heavenly Peace does. And it was, it was something that, um, I mean, I had no idea how to build a bed or, or even worse, didn't know how bad child bedlessness really was or is. And we have a, say, a saying in SHP, it's, uh, you know, child bedlessness may not be a real word, but it's a real problem. That's, and that's, that's the ironic thing about it is, you know, child bedlessness really is not even a real word. But the, the problem is very much real. And, and usually when we meet people and tell them about child bedlessness, um, you know, you get two different reactions. Either A, they don't believe you or they don't think it's that bad. Well, surely there's a couple of kids, but that's about it. Uh, when in reality, there's really no statistics nationally on, or I should say from any particular institute that has that statistic. The best statistic out there is what SHP has put together over the last, oh, eight years, and it's almost 3% of the population represents a child either sleeping on the floor, on the couch with mom, you know, all sorts of really uncomfortable situations. So, you know, you got a town of 100,000 people, you got 3,000 kids sleeping in these conditions. And number two is the person will say, well, well, maybe not in my town, some, you know, third world or really poverty stricken area of the city. Not true. Um, Child bedlessness doesn't know the paycheck that you have or the situation of the, of the family, you know, addiction is a very common thing that we see where, you know, parents or, or either spouses break up because of addiction or they're consumed by their addiction. And, um, and the, the result is, is the suffering of a child. And so, um, you know, I didn't know about all this stuff, right. I, I, I was a, just a regular schmo. <laughs> you, so know? You, you were, you had a full-time job, like a, tw- yeah. like, how long have you been working there? 20 years? Yeah. So I, when I got off my mission, um, I served my, a mission for my church in Texas and, um, I was, uh, my mom actually married, um, remarried a man who had this business. And I, I, when you serve a mission, um, you know, I'm knocking doors, um, talking to people about the gospel and things of that nature, you really learn some valuable, um, salesmanship. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was, you know, pretty outgoing guy. I think, I think I, I figure I didn't picture myself as a salesman, but you know, when first, when people think of a salesman, they think of like a used car salesman, right. Or, or, and that's even a disgrace to, to, to shame those guys. Used car salesmen are great guys. Um, but, but it's more of a businessman. Right. And I really enjoyed the art of business mm-hmm. and selling a product to someone that either needed it or, or didn't know they need it. Anyways, long story short, I enjoyed the sales process. And so my, my new now new stepdad said, well, why don't you come work for me? And so I, uh, I kind of took a little internship with him and, and then, uh, yeah, started in, what was it? Uh, would have been 2000. Um, no, no, 99, 99. Yeah. And, uh, just kind of worked my way up to, um, the executive or the uh, uh, vice president of sales and marketing um, in uh, 2010 ish. And so about 10 years I worked in the field and then I came to the office and then I was in the office for another seven years and I was buying the company when, uh, when all crap 
came loose with uh, this bed building thing. <laughs> so, so what was it? What, what were you selling, man? So I did industrial water treatment. So really technical stuff. I didn't go to school for it. I pretty much knew water was wet and that was about it, <laughs> you know, right. but, uh, but I enjoyed talking to people and then I enjoyed selling, um, you know, a product that I believed in and, and really the services behind it. And then I enjoyed, I enjoyed people relying on me to fix a problem for them. You know, that's always fun. It always comes in and, you know, be the guy that, that they rely on. And uh, so I really gravitated to that. Um, you know, the, the, the service end of it really, really enjoyed me because I got to rub shoulders with people. And so I sold, I sold industrial water treatment for large industries like uh, uh, ConAgra Foods and okay. uh, power plants and things of that nature. Yeah. So tell me how, so tell me how that transition went from you making a really good income, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if yeah. you're ready to buy a business, brother, you're making some good income, <laughs> right? And, and mom well, is relative, but sure. <laughs> mom's, mom at home is safe. She feels yeah. comfortable about what's going on. The kids have, have what they need. And all yeah. of a sudden you come home and say, um, I'm maybe switching jobs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what happened? You know, well, there's a lot of little things that happened before that, you know, um, it's just, uh, it wasn't one thing per se, as it was uh, through the years, right? And, and this is what I tell everybody that, you know, I measured success of my life. Um, I'm not going to say wrong. Well, I'll say wrong for me. Um, you know, my success was measured by how many toys I had how much money I made. Right. And how many of us fall into that trap? You know, uh, you know, we, we, and we kid around, I still kid around with my kids. Hey, do you want to work at McDonald's? Well, you know what? McDonald's is a nice job, but we refer to that because it's not a high paying job, you know, and unfortunately our society um, dictates success by the amount of money you make. And I fell, I fell uh, a right victim in. of that. Yeah. Right. And, and even, even, even in the worlds and the friends I dealt with, you know, keeping up with the Joneses was always kind of a thing. And, and I, you know, if my, my friend had a bigger, bigger, better car than I did, boy, I was, Ooh. I was anxious to, to, to do better than that. Cause that's what I leveled. I measured my success at. And that was so empty. Um, Brock, it was such a, even worse than empty. It just sucked the soul out of me. Cause you know, who cares? I didn't really care what house I was in. I just wanted people to feel that, to, to look at me and be, and be proud of me, right? To be yeah. proud of being a friend of his, being proud of, of knowing me. You know, I guess that was where my true desire was. Um, and, you know, what better way to be proud of than having the nicest house, right? Which was just stupid. Um, and it took, it, I didn't realize this until about Oh, 2012, you know, doing really good in my career. And, uh, uh, but the success I was having was not filling that hole, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't, in fact, I think in some ways it was getting bigger. Um, I was struggling with, uh, with my own faith and, and trying to keep hold of that while raising a family and being married. And, you know, all those things are really, uh, big, big boy decisions, right? And, and, complications. And so, you know, but one thing I always enjoyed was um, the, the service part of my life. I loved coaching. I loved going out with the kids and teaching them how this and teach them how that and, and working with the, 
this, the youth in my church uh, uh, capacity and going on campouts with them and teaching them this, that, and the other. And so when, when the opportunity came about with um, a family that needed beds, I, I wanted to jump all over it. Like I, I number one, I didn't know it was a big problem, but, um, but it was an opportunity to serve. And even better yet, it was an opportunity for my youth that I was over to participate in helping another youth. Right. Didn't, Which I thought was really get, Did you have to get mama's tools out? Like the oh, dude, the bro. And all that? <laughs> You're leaving what? my secrets out there. Yeah, dude, it was, I did, you know, I, I, I tinkered with toys and, and whatnot. My, my wife actually had a, she did um, vinyl lettering, which then turned into vinyl lettering signs. And so she was building frames and, and doing kind of cool stuff um, in the garage for a couple of, a number of years. And so she had some really cool tools. Right. And so I used them. I actually built her um, a, uh, in my third bay garage, I built her a salon and stuff. So, I mean, I wasn't a dummy, but I didn't have any tools. So I just used hers. <laughs> so you got, you got asked to build a bed. Like, did you have an idea in mind? Did you, how did, did you so Google it online or what's up? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, we, uh, we weren't asked the, 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 at the time, the church leader just looked at, looked at me and says, you know, what can you guys do to help? And I said, well, I, you know, if they don't have any beds, I'll tell you what, that'll be fun. Let me, let me look into that. And the first thought was, we'll just go get them donated, or maybe I'll just go buy them some. I mean, you know, how much is a bed, right? right. Although they were expensive, I, you know, to help a kid, I'll do anything. And, but then, you know, a thought came to me and just said, you know, here, I got these Boy Scouts, you know, 12 to 17. I had not very many of them, I only had six or eight of them. And I thought, you know, what a better opportunity to get a controller out of these guys' hands, an Xbox controller, and let's put, a, let's put a drill and a sander in it. Let's teach them some stuff. And so when I came home that night from uh, that meeting, I told my wife, I said, you know what? I'm going to do something here. Uh, I got a little project. And she, she kind of smiles while rolling her eyes because <laughs> she knows when I start a project, man, I don't think about anything else until it's done. I just, it just bothers me. And so I went down and my, my daughter had a bunk bed that we had purchased a long, long time ago. And I just liked the design. It was very simple. You know, it was three different types of pieces of wood. Um, so, and it wasn't too simple that it looked kind of cheap, right? I wanted right. it to look nice, not too nice because I wasn't this big master carpenter, but something easy to put together because it was basically going to be me and, and Boy Scouts. And so I patterned the design off of that that bed design, I shrunk it down a little bit and made a few changes just to make it simpler. And voila, we, we had, we had the, the, the design. So a, bunk, a, a full on bunk bed. Yeah. They were actually two single beds. And the beauty of it was, and I look back at this Brock, I was just so blessed and lucky that it turned out to be this way that, um, you know, the, the bottom bed was the same as the top bed, just switched, just flipped over. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked really good for my thought of how, how to produce this one bed. I, cause keep in mind, I had no intention whatsoever to build more than just one. I just wanted to satisfy this one family. Um, and so I, I often look back and think if I would have built a different design, one that was a little bit more complicated, would I have been more, um, amped or more excited about trying to replicate it you know but you didn't get to deliver it right correct yeah so when we were done i mean i was in i was in mama's garage with all these wood and, and sawdust everywhere and and her salon was in there you know granted it was walled off but 
you know, dust was getting in there and there was, you know, uh, uh, all sorts of wooden stuff stacked around. And so I, I stayed back and cleaned the garage. Number one, I, I wanted to do that for my wife, but, but also the delivery portion of it was kind of like uh, um, the, the women of the group wanted to do that with the families, the parents of these boys. And I, I didn't want to take that away from them. And yeah, and it was, I mean, we had, if you think about it, we had six or eight boys and then you bring their parents. I mean, there was like 15 people that were going to go into this one house to deliver a bed. I thought it was just a little overwhelming. Um, and so I, I chose to stay back, which kind of sucked because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you go to church the next day and you hear these boys talk about, I mean, these are, these are teenage boys, Brock, that are talking about, how much fun a it was to sit there and sweat and drill and sand pieces of wood in my garage for three nights. And then number two, how excited they were to see these, you know, these three, four, five year old kids getting their first bed. And that was my first insight and, and thought, Oh my gosh, you know, that's, that was cool. If I get those boys and I'd been working with these boys for years, right. Yeah to get them so excited about actually doing a job, you know, working hard and working with their hands and then seeing the result of that. I, I was pretty jealous. So, <laughs> you, so you go home, you go home and then what happens? So, so I went home and it, it's kind of funny. I, I, again, you got to keep in mind, I got this, this gaping hole and this faith crisis, whatever midlife crisis, all these things, my kids were, you know, I had a one-year-old, a five-year-old, a nine-year-old or something like that, seven-year-old. And, and all these pressures at work and all this stuff just piled on. It was Christmas time. My kids were complaining about the presents that I just said they're not going to get, you know, uh, just all these things. And, and I'm, I just remember, Brock, I'm sitting on the couch going, number one, I'm not the guy I want to be. I'm not, I'm not who I thought I was going to be. Um, I, I didn't like the, the, the success I was supposed to be measuring my life on. I didn't like it. I thought it was stupid. You know, um, I, 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 my, my kids were complaining about these presents and complaining about how, you know, or at least acted like they, you know, their life was over because they weren't going to get these presents. Hmm. You know, um, I, I didn't, I, I was almost like depressed and, and I don't know, all these things just crashed down at once. And, and it was interesting that it happened that, that, that moment, because it was just the day before, or maybe it was a couple of days before I had this amazing experience of building this bed for these kids. And that I didn't think once about work. I didn't think once about what freaking bill I had or what toy I wanted to go buy. It was gone. I didn't worry about, I was more happy. And my wife, it was so obvious that my wife was like, wow, you, you really like that. And, and, you know, it was, uh, it was just obvious that it was feeling that, that empty bucket. And so, you know, whatever it was, I, I said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to go build another one. It was just, you know, thinking to myself, I got up at the couch. It was completely selfish. <laughs> so yeah. I got up at the couch, started walking to the garage and, you know, my garage doors right next into the garage is right next to the kitchen and my wife's cooking dinner. And she's like, well, where are you going? And cause it was wintertime. I was cold outside. I was going on the garage and I'm like, you know what? I got some leftover wood. I'm just going to build another bed. 
And she's like, Oh really? You're, you know, it's winter time, dinner's coming. But she knew as soon as I got up and started walking, she's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is going to happen. And so I just went to work and then my family started coming out and, and then my wife's like, Hey, let me, let me see if I can get some sheets. And, and I said, you know, well, what the heck are we going to do? I, I, Rock, I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. I just, I wanted to build that bed. I wanted to build it for a child. I didn't know anybody that, even that there was a problem or even another child that needed it. I just wanted to do it. Um, Cause I know I needed it, you know, more than anything. Yeah. Um, I needed it. Therapy and I felt, session, man. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and my kids needed it too. You know, I needed them to see it. And, and here they've got a beautiful house and their own beds and they're crying about presence and granted they were six and seven but you know they're crying about the and then and then realizing that there's kids out there don't have any beds that's it right you know so so we built another bed and my i looked at my wife and i'm like now i don't don't even know what to do with it what how do i how do i find a kid i wanted to give it to a kid how do i find a kid that uh that needs a bed and so we you know she recommended put it on facebook and i still have the post somewhere i have to bring it up but uh you know just hey i'm my family made a bed um, as a Christmas present. We want to give it to some, a child that, that doesn't have a bed, you know, and I, I really expected to get every Tom, Dick and Harry saying, sure, I need a bed. Here you go. You know, a free bed. Great. And I was completely shocked because for every bed, every, every time someone said, Hey, I could use a bed or I know someone that needs a bed. I probably had five other friends or strangers saying, Oh my gosh, I would like to help. Can, uh, you know, uh, can I bring a mattress? Can I bring some blankets over and, and can I bring food and coats and all sorts of stuff? Man. And so, you know, I looked at my wife and I said, this is incredible. I, you know, there's a lot of people that want to help. And one of my, actually I served a mission with her. Um, one of my, uh, uh, friends, she, she sent me a message. She said, I have the perfect family for you. And she explained how this, this daughter and mother had been sleeping in the backseat of their car for like six years. And, finally got a house and they have nothing, right? She was working on some stuff for them. And so I showed up and there's just wasn't anything in this house. I mean, I'd seen poverty before, but, but it was different. It was different, Brock. When you walked in and there was nothing there, but there's this little girl who's just jacked, just so excited because she has a freaking room, dude. Yeah. I was just blow me away. And, and then she pulls us in her back room to show her, her, this is my bedroom. And I mean, it was, let's be honest. It was a, you know, it's kind of a crap hole. It was holes on the walls and the, and the carpet and, you know, it didn't smell very good, but this girl was just elated. She had a roof over her head, but in the corners when is where she had all her school clothes or every piece of clothes she had was just piled up in the corner. That was the nest, the bed she slept on. Man. And so I was pretty dang stoked to bring that little girl a bed. Um, and, and it was fun to watch her get excited as we put it together, you know, start hugging us and hugging and kissing the bed. It was pretty, pretty emotional. Um, and then you, then I looked over and saw her mom crying and, and just so grateful. I mean, I, I just, it's more than just a bed. I, I realized that it was more than just a bed. It was actually solving a big hole in these two individuals lives. And when I got in the car and started driving home and cause we had about a half hour to, to drive home, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking, you know what, man, for the two hours I spent two, three nights that week to build this bed, freaking what better use of my time. Wow. You know, so that's, uh, that's when we decided that no kid was going to sleep on the floor in our town. 
if we had anything to do with it. Okay, so the, you you say that, but it's 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 a big it's a big un, like. So I, I do have one question before we get you into bet. that. You said you didn't feel like you were the guy. Do you feel like you're that guy now? Do you feel like that you're who you're supposed to be? Uh, the the word that's a great question. I, I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be for sure. I'm always, unfortunately, I have this nagging thing that drives my wife crazy is I'm never satisfied with who I am. I always want to be better, which is both a blessing and a curse. Um, but unquestionably, I am where I'm supposed to be. And, and that is a wonderful feeling. It, it, to, to, there for a while, when, especially when I quit my job, um, you know, that was scary not so much for me, but it was scary for my family. You know, you, you quit a nice, comfortable, not just job and paying job, but your career. My, my 20 years of, of career of life was planned out for the rest of my life. Right. And, and it was, a, it was going to affect that decision was going to affect way more than just me. And so it was, that was difficult. And there was a lot of times afterwards and I'm like, was that the right thing to do? You know, but the, the proof is in the pudding that it made me happier and made my family happier. And I'd like to think it's made thousands and thousands of other people brought, brought joy to them as well. So how did the pro I mean, so, so you found your purpose in two beds. Yeah. So how yeah. did you get it going, man? Like, like, <laughs> How did you give it all up? Because you did, man. Eventually, I mean, yeah. you had to give it all up to, to do what you're doing. But how did you, how did you make that step? Yeah, I, I had to determine that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to go in, all in. Um, and, well, and quit my job happened six years later, right? This, you know, I, I, I ran SHP for six years before, seven, five years anyways, before that happened. Um, but, but even then, and that was kind of a good building block for me anyways, to recognize that this is a bigger problem, but me personally, this was more of what I wanted to do. And, and I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago that my career was going to be, and I'd be known for building beds for kids, I'd, I'd be laughing. I had no, no interest or not necessarily no interest, just no idea that I'd be doing that. I've never done it before, but it's amazing when when wherever it comes from, wherever, whatever you want to believe where it comes from, those little tiny moments that spark an idea, sometimes they do nothing but help you for one minute. They might help someone else for a week, or they might change the course of yours and others' lives. You just never know. Um, and, and if you never act on them, you never know. And I so was going to say, what if you missed it, bro? Oh, dude. You know I, what I mean? Oh, I, I cringe. I cry to think about if I would have just excused that moment away. You know what I'm saying? If I would have been satisfied with what I thought success was, what I measured, instead of measuring success off of happiness, I measured success off of money. And my wife did a very good job pointing that out to me, especially after I started doing more and more of this. I've never seen you happier. And I'm like, that is the measure of success. I mean, how many times do we hear rich people just either, you know, they're, they're struggling. They don't, they don't like themselves. And the poorest people are the happiest people. You know, it's really, 
And I, I, I knew that. I think we all heard that. I think we all can say that we understand that. But do we really, you know, do you really until you really sit down and say, what makes me happy? You know, what makes other people happy? How can I be a part of that? And for me, true joy comes from serving others. And, um, and, and, it help, and I realized quickly, when you start serving other people, you, these problems, these, these headaches that you worry about, they might not go away, but they don't seem as terrible. They don't seem as heavy. You know, um, the, the argument you had with your wife, it really is not, doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. You know, I got better, bigger fish to fry with getting kids off the floor and helping people serve others than I worry about, you know, I don't know whether I mow the lawn or not, you know? <laughs> so, so what's a day, what's a day in a life look like, man? I want to like, I, I feel like people want to know because it's probably not a nine to five job anymore. Right. Oh, no. There's probably oh, a lot no. more to it. A lot of logistics. Oh, yeah. I know, I know you're overseas on uh, um, what three continents. We're in, we're in well continent wise we're in three we're in four countries four countries so two I guess two continents we're in Canada United States um, which is actually I think one continent but <laughs> we're in Canada United States Bermuda and Bahamas those okay. are the four countries we're in and we're actually but we have requests all over and, and setting up a country is a little bit different story that's a whole other can of worms but um, my my goal is to be in some of the major ones you know Australia um, England. Uh, we got, you know, our next stop, maybe Germany. We have quite a bit of interest in Germany. And uh, because I promise you the problems, if they exist in the States, if they exist in Twin Falls, Idaho, they exist everywhere. Brother, no you, question. Do you ever just look back and said this, this started from a church project. <laughs> yeah. And if I missed it, man, I would, I mean, you guys are over 80,000 beds. Yeah. We're pretty, well, we're, we're at, we're at, what are we at? About 65,000 beds. Okay. Yeah. Nine, almost a hundred thousand volunteers. We're 252 chapter presidents. I mean, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are involved. Um, you know, we do podcasts now we have, I have businesses surrounded supporting SHP now. I mean, uh, I went from, this is the funny thing. I went from one business, one job. I was a, I was a salesman for a water treatment company to now I have five different, I'm the CEO or part owner of five different companies, most of which are surrendered, surrounded helping SHP. Um, and then the executive director of, uh, of, of an international charity. And, and trust me, I don't say that to gloat. I say that as what I thought, where I thought I was most successful and, and just fine playing, playing where I was playing. Um, I, I didn't realize the potential that was out there for me anyways. Um, and it all started from a decision to get up and do something. You get know? up and do one decision <laughs> away, man. That's so cool. So when I went through and started looking at this, let me just give the, the people listening this a little brief. So, so your official smile, bake, we can't really see your smile cause you're like this, but you're, you're the official <laughs> smile of bake. <laughs> there you go. Lays <laughs> Right. Yep. You, you've, you've been on the TEDx stage. You've, you've done a TEDx talks and, and it was about SHP. It was kind of, um, it was more about what we're talking about today, passion and purpose. That's what, that's what I wanted to get across. That's what the TEDx talk was about. Yeah. You've been on the American Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that, well, yeah. The People <laughs> Magazine. 
Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, with Mike Rowe returning the favor. Yep. More to come on that too. CNN Hero of the Year. How did? Where did you end up on that? So, it's really funny. I want to so know who beat you out, man, because I won't go talk to them. Well, okay. Number one, I'm, a, I'm, I'll just say I'm from Idaho. Let's just okay. say that. Okay. <laughs> you know that, that hindered you a little bit. It did. I was, I was, <laughs> I was batting for for a t- against a tough pitcher. No, um. So someone nominates you. They have tens of thousands of people that get nominated every year. And so I was, I was even honored to be an, an, uh, a nominated person. And they come out and they pick about 25 nominations to be a CNN hero. Don't get me wrong. They're all heroes. Even one, if of, one of 25 in the world, bro. That's what we're, yeah, let, let's not get that wrong. Not Idaho. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. And then, and then those 25 go into um, um, a selection committee and the selection committee picks 10 of them. And, Technically, those 10 are the CNN heroes. Um, and so they fly back to New York and you're part of this uh, presentation. And it, it's a dude, it's top notch. I mean, it's just amazing um, what they do. And you're sitting next to Don, uh, uh, Ted Danson and Brian Cranston and there's Lenny Kravitz right, you know, right next to you. I mean, there's some A- A-list guys there. Really cool. And, and, and then you, you, you give 30, they, they, they do a little three minute spiel on your organization. Then you give this 30 second speech in front of 90 million people. I mean, Ooh, it, 90 a, million. It, that, well, they say, they say the, the initial night's 4 million, but overall it, it'll be viewed by 90 million people. I mean, that's a pucker factor of 20. Were you ready <laughs> yeah. to go? Were you ready? Oh man. I well, was funny. So you, you, you write this little speech, right? I had to write this little 30 second speech and, uh, um, and I was, you know, I had a couple of people help me write it. Um, uh, Mitch Matthews, he's a, he's my director of, of marketing and he, he took some speech and uh, not some speech, but some English class anyways, and you submit it and they look at it and it looks good. And you rehearse that thing a trillion times. Right. Um, and then when you show up the, the night before the event, you actually go out there and they do a dry run. They do a test run. Well, dude, I went out there and there's a huge teleprompter in the back, right? So I'm used to giving it verbatim, like, or, or, or from memory, um, but there's a teleprompter going. So you want to kind of use the teleprompter. Dude, I, the first dry run I did, I totally bombed. <laughs> I was like in the middle, because I'm, I'm trying to read it when I'm like, why am I even looking at it? I know it for, so anyways, I said, let me do that again. And they let me do it again and I was fine. But think about it now, it's the night of, and I'm like, don't screw up like I did last night. And then like, <laughs> so you're doing this big mind game and it, it was, but, but it was funny. Yeah. So um, the, 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 from what was it? November 1st to the night of, which I think was like December 7th or 9th. So about a month, about six weeks or so um, they, you can cast your vote. The world casts their vote for the, who they want to be the CNN hero of the year. And uh, the winner actually was a doctor out of Peru. Um, and uh, yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not okay. okay anyways, <laughs> anyways, no, he's a cool guy. Um, but they're all, what's really cool is we call ourselves the, uh, the Zen 10. Uh, we're really still close. We keep, we keep in touch with, I still keep in touch with every single one of them. That's been two years now. Wow. And uh, we've done a lot, I've done a lot of projects with some of them. And so, um, they're just a neat group of people. Just super honored to be a part of it. Um, and uh, even though we weren't, you know, seen in Hero of the Year, it's it's uh, in ways it, it's good 
um, you know, the CNN hero of the year gets a hundred thousand dollars. What's interesting about that. So that night Subaru, um, and they're doing their Subaru cares for love program right now, anyways, or whatever it's called, but they actually match up to $50,000 for, for, for each charity for each CNN hero that night. Um, and, and it goes to the end of the year. So you had like three weeks to raise $50,000 and then they would match $50,000. Wow. $50, well, here's the beauty of it. So when it hits, when, when, when the show is done that night, the, 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 I don't want to say voting, the, the donation counting starts, we hit $50,000 in less than 25, 24 hours or oh 30, 36 hours which was the fastest they've ever seen. So it was, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. So they realized they had messed the vote up. <laughs> Is well, that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, I'll let you think about that. No, yeah, no, I, I uh, it was pretty fun. It was, it was cool. It was honored. I got to, I mean, I meet, I met Will Farrell. I met John C. Riley. I met uh, uh, all these great, these great people and, and the president of Subaru and, and thanked him for, you know, what he's doing and, and, uh, it was, it was a really neat night. It was a really big honor. You know, I've got the, you can see it back there, right yeah, there. I see there's it. I the, see it. There's the trophy. And so, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of cool things come off of that. Um, you know, I was honored to be able to spend the next, I mean, gosh, year talking to school classes that watch CNN. In fact, when I found out, the way I found out that I was even nominated, I got a, I got a phone call. It was a voicemail. I missed the call. And it was kind of garbled. I couldn't really understand it. The only words I really got out of it was uh, CNN and hero. And I remember my, my son came home from school and I was, I was listening to that. And I was like, what the heck is this? I, CNN hero. And his eyes just went huge. He's like, dad, did you just say CNN hero? I'm like, yeah, what is a CNN hero? N didn't, no idea. Right. Yeah. He's like, Oh my gosh, are you a CNN hero? I'm like, dude, I don't know what it is. <laughs> And they watch it. They watched it every week in like a social oh. studies class or something like that. And so it was, a, it's a pretty neat deal. And so I got to be, uh, you know, share my story with all sorts of different elementaries across the, across the country. I got letters from these kids. It was, it's super neat. It was cool. My thing is, man, who, who does this? Like who, who makes beds? <laughs> no one, I, man. I, that's, that's what I'm thing. saying. I, mean, I didn't realize until I talked to you that there was such a, a such a need. But crazy part was, I remember when I worked as a police officer. I can't tell you how many homes we went into, yeah. and they didn't have beds. Yeah. But it never it never dawned on me. Hey, this family needs a bed. You know what I mean? Like, well, when I when I, uh, probably two years after I started this, um, actually it was the year we. We, we became an official 501c3 nonprofit. It's 2013. Um, well, 2014, really. And I thought, okay, you know, what other agencies provide bed beds? Well, I couldn't find any other agencies that I knew of, you know, like health and welfare or, or you know, some of, the, some of them around here. No one. No one provided a bed. I was like, oh, that's weird. So I did a national search. And I only found one other agency back east in North Carolina and it was beds for kids. And so I actually talked to the CEO um, and the founder, and he kind of had a somewhat similar story. He started building beds in his, in his garage a year before me in 2011. Um, but then that graduated to, they started doing a lot of other things. They actually go to colleges. They take the used um, furniture and stuff out of these dorms 
and then they supply the families with this. So now it's not just beds for kids. They do a lot of other stuff. And, but they were the only one. It was only in North Carolina. And so I thought, oh, that's, well, that's cool. And what I really quickly f- figured out is as soon as we start, you know, we were on the news, then we were in the paper, and then we were doing more builds. And I had almost every single agency, or when I went to like a gathering of other charities and service providers, there wasn't one of them that didn't want to talk to me after I left, especially if they Mm. dealt with kids, because they're like, you have no idea. There's finding beds for kids was the hardest. And that's weird, right? You think it'd be easy. Like it's a bed for kid. Nope. It's the hardest thing for them to find. And quite frankly, the most expensive when they're just buying furniture for kids. So how do you do it? Tell me, tell me what the process is. How do you get them to them? You bet. So, um, the, we, we complete our mission um, really in, in a couple of different ways. Our first step is to find um, a chapter president that wants to, wants to do this, right? So um, once, once someone finds out about SHP and goes through the, the onboarding process, the vetting and onboarding process for SHP, they become a chapter. And the way a chapters work is they, um, they solicit to businesses, not just for dollars, but they solicit an opportunity for that business to participate in a, a bed build. So, or a build day is what we call them. And so we have a certain number, it's $200 for every bed that they want to build. That's what they have to donate. And that $200 covers everything, mattresses, sheets, because we, we supply the complete package to the kid. And so, you know, if, if a company says, great, I would like to build 20 beds or 10 bunk beds, we say, okay, that's four, a $4,000 donation. We'll do that. So they give us $4,000. We go and we have all the tools. We have all the special jigs that we need. We have, we go and buy the wood and we can actually, we're mobile. So we go right to their parking lot in their business. So everybody can see it. All their volunteers or excuse me, all of their um, employees can be a part of it, which is really important for, the company to show the volunteers that they do care about the community, right. As well as the community can, can come and be involved. And so we have sponsored build days. um, And that's probably a a majority of our donations come through that is sponsored build days. And then of course, then we receive donations from other ones, but, but the, the sum of it is we have these build days where we build these beds from scratch. I mean, it's wood, wood you buy at Lowe's it's plopped in front of this, what we call a train. It started the train and we go from marking them to cutting them to sanding them to taking the pieces and assembling them to headboards. So they're, they're not fully assembled at a build day. They're just in the pieces. And then yeah. we deliver them on delivery days. Uh, so people, what, how that works is, you know, anybody, whether it's themselves, a neighbor, uh, an, another agency service provider, they can go to shpbeds.org. And there's a, there's a button up there called apply for a bed. And so they can, you know, they, they click on that and they fill out some information, some private information. Um, and, uh, and once they hit submit, based on the zip code that they have, it goes to the chapter president that has accepted that zip code as a deliverable area. Now, we're getting better, but obviously we don't have the entire country right. covered, right? Sure. So if there's no z- chapter president that ex- has accepted that as a deliverable zip code, then they'll get a message that says, you know, hey, sorry, we don't have a chapter there. Hopefully soon we will. Stay tuned, reapply, blah, blah, blah. But if they do, then that, that, that application through our software program goes to that chapter president. And then the chapter president has a team behind them, a core team, we call them, 
um, usually one's a volunteer coordinator or a delivery coordinator. They go through all those applications and they select whatever they think is the most uh, in the most need. Man, that's amazing. Dude, you're doing it, man. You're doing it. If you, if you could shed some light, like if you could talk about the whole decision, one decision away or sure. purpose, what would you, what would you share with, with people listening, man? What would you tell them? You know, it's simple, simple. Don't be afraid to follow your, whether you call it good ideas, these little moments of what ifs or how about that? Uh, don't be afraid. And, and, and you know what? Look, look at me. I think, I think people think that, oh, I tried something. It didn't blow up. So it was useless. Not, not so. I mean, this, this has turned into what it is today because of one tiny moment. And that one tiny moment turned into another tiny moment. It, and it, it is hard work. It can be, or no, not can be, it will be, it will be. Um, but follow what you're happy about. Me, it's building beds for kids. I mean, if you're love dogs or love the ocean or, or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, um, you know, follow that. And it doesn't have to be a nonprofit, you know, follow your desire, whatever makes you happy and, you know, measure your success off of that. Don't measure Hmm. success off of number one, what other people think. Um, And certainly, certainly don't measure success off of how much money you make because trust me, when we make, if we make $100,000 more a year, guess what we're going to find? $100,000 more of expense to spend it somewhere and we'll be in the same boat. You know, why not, why not be happy, be proud of what you're doing now um, and, and, and do the best you can at it, you know, enjoy it. I, I, you know, for me, I'm one of these guys that likes to, likes to bring everybody with me, right? I, I love a party. I love socializing with people. And SHP is just a huge blessing for me because I get to do that. I get to bring all my friends. We all do this together. It's a big fun thing. Um, and so, you know, follow those, follow those intuitions, follow those premonitions, follow those tiny moments. Cause man, you just, yeah, man, you just never know what's going to happen. Mm, I love it, man. Luke, I'm so I'm so thankful for your time, man. Oh, I thank yeah. you for joining me today. Honestly, man, what you what you have is uh you had an experience, man, that you rocked that you that you went about. And I think that's one of the things that keep us back is this fear that we're scared. Yep. You know, we're scared of failure. And I appreciate your example. I mean, look what you've done with it so far. So thank well, you. Let's wrap this up, man. Thank you for, thanks, for joining me today and listening to the Chase the Vase podcast as a podcast producer somewhere there's thousands of other places you could be today but i appreciate that you were here and i hope what we shared with you today will resonate but also uh will help you get on this journey of of making this change to find this sobriety in your life whether it's through making beds or chasing the base or whatever it is man if this episode has helped you then be sure to share it with somebody else hit like share it get back invite people but uh, I would love to continue this. I, I appreciate you more than anything, Luke, for, uh, for your vibe, ma'am. My pleasure. I wish, you, I wish you amazing success. Thanks, brother. Thank you. See you.